The Lord has called me to minister to the poor in an area of Los Angeles that we call Skid Row. It's filled with drug addicts, prostitutes, battered women, abused, frightened little children. They're all homeless. They're hungry. And God has called us to the heart of this place to minister his love. We do this through feeding hungry people, clothing those who are practically naked, giving blankets, oh, so much more. But the main thing we do is give them the love of Jesus. For over half a century, I've had the joy of serving God by serving the poor. And let me tell you, from my experience in all those years, all of the people that we minister to need one thing. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. For only his love and his salvation can transform their lives and meet all the needs that they have. I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to every problem that mankind faces. That's why I believe so much in the Carter Report and their ministry of preaching God's love. Today I'm honored, it's a joy to interview John Carter and let him share with us what God has called him to do. A pastor, a compassionate man, a husband, a father. And John, you have gone to far off Russia to preach the gospel. Why to Russia? The same reason, Willie, that you're ministering on the streets of Los Angeles, downtown on Skid Row, because there's a need, a tremendous need. And when I think of Russia, Ukraine, the former Soviet Union, over there are 290 million people. Most of those people, the vast majority, are in darkness, without hope and without God in the world. It's not like the United States of America where there's a church on every corner. Over there, I've traveled on the Trans-Siberian Express and traveled for hour after hour, day after day, and I've gone through great centers of industry. There are no church steeples, mm. no, not one. These are the most brutalized people possibly in the history of the world. During the 70 days of, com of communism, it is estimated that between 50 and 70 million people lost their lives as a direct result of political or religious persecution. My, my friends over there say, you know, it could be, nobody really knows, but they say it could be 70 million. Mm. So you have a people who have been persecuted, a people who have been brutalized, a people who have had the, the light of truth taken from them. The most, or some of the most educated people in the world, 100% literacy rate, but a people on the whole, who are walking in the valley of the shadow of death. And as David said, on the occasion of going out to fight Goliath, is there not a cause? We're there for the same reason that you're on the streets of Los Angeles, because there's a cause. 
You know, as Americans, Russia was always almost a scary word to us. Still is. <laughs> I'm afraid for Christians, yes. Yes, yes. For 70 years, communism, godless communism was taught. And we almost felt that they were our enemy as people, not just as nations. And yet, when it opened for the gospel, I have been shocked and appalled at how few American pastors have gone to share the gospel. Yet you came to America from Australia, and this is your special calling. Uh, Willie, I first went to Russia and Ukraine, I think it was in 1971, maybe 72. Then it was a super, super power. Before Americans could go. Yeah, well, Americans were going as tourists in little yes. groups. But nobody was allowed to go and preach, obviously. But it was a power that was big and bad and belligerent and threatening the entire world. In those days, nobody thought that Russia was going to open up to the preaching of the gospel. But then I received a call, Beverly and I received a call in the year 1991 in March. There's an opening in Moscow, will you go? And we had the privilege of being the first foreign, quote, missionaries to run an evangelistic campaign in that part of the world. We saw things that people cannot imagine. The opportunities were so great for preaching the gospel. The hunger of the people was so utterly immense, overwhelming, that we felt a divine call from God to take to these people the Lord Jesus Christ, the preaching of the everlasting gospel. So I say once again, we went there for the same reason that you have gone to Korea and Japan and Africa and other places, but your center is downtown Los Angeles preaching to people who've got desperate needs. We have gone there because the needs are overwhelming. The needs are desperate. But you seem to have a unique calling, John, to the former Soviet Union. And God has blessed your ministry there almost beyond comprehension. More than we expected. <laughs> oh, with tens of thousands who have come to the Lord. They mm -hmm. followed the Lord in baptism. How did they treat you the first time you went? The very, people. Very well. I was brought up to believe that these folks were the enemy. Well, we didn't call them folks. No. <laughs> these people were the enemy. When I first went there in 1991, and ran these meetings in the Palace of Culture, a stone's throw from the Kremlin. Communism was still on the throne. The meetings would start at 10 in the morning, Willie, and would go without break until 10 o'clock at night, 10 or 11 at night. So you preach one message after uh, another yeah. to different mm -hmm. crowds a, of people? With a, with a little break for bread and water. <laughs> I'm telling you, Literally. pull me off the stage and give me something to drink and give me some food. But Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. I, 
I have a faint comprehension of what Jesus meant from his own experience. The harvest, he said, is ripe. I saw the harvest were so ripe. Uh, people staying behind after the meetings, not letting me go, go home or go to bed or, or go to the hotel, the Budapest Hotel. Uh, people from Moscow University coming and saying, I'm an atheist. I teach uh, atheistic Marxism. I'm a doctor of, of this or that. Tell me about God. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me how I can find peace. People lined up across the stage. Now people have told me who haven't gone, but that was a flash in the pan. It is not so. Every year I go, I find the same soul hunger among millions of people. You've preached the gospel for 30, or more. 40 years? More than 40 years, Willie. You see how the people respond here. What does it do inside your spirit to go there and see people who almost literally, as I saw in Harkov, knock the doors mm. down to mm. get in? The hunger is so great. What does mm. that do to you? It makes me feel that I'm in the right place. Mm. <laughs> That's what it does. It makes me feel that God is not dead. It makes me feel that the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. Uh, Willie, back in 92, going back a fair way now, when we ran the campaign in the city of Gorky or Nizhny Novgorod, we had, we are told by independent, independent reports, the largest crowds in the history of that nation. Uh, I'm not just talking about it political meetings or religious meetings. I'm talking about meetings. People lined up by the tens of thousands trying to break down the doors. And I saw there such a hunger for God. An old man standing outside and crying out in his native language, I've waited 70 years for Jesus. Don't keep me outside waiting anymore. I've seen people battering down the doors. After the Kiev meeting started, no, at the commencement of the Kiev meetings. Now, Kiev is the capital of Ukraine. That was back in 1995. A hundred thousand people standing outside trying to get into the meetings. Now, how does it make me feel when I see this? It makes me feel, I think, as you feel when you see the people coming on skid row. Here are people with enormous needs. What shall I do? Shall I prostitute my soul and seek an easy path? Or shall I do what God has called me to do? And so I feel a sense of calling from God. I feel the hand of God upon me. There have been times, Willie, and you know what I'm talking about because you're a preacher. I've heard you preach. I'd go anywhere to hear you preach. On some nights I have felt utterly exhausted after preaching night after night, two or three sessions a day, and then meetings during the day. But I have felt on occasions when I've walked out on the stage as though a physical mantle has fallen on me. And I felt that this beat up old body 
has been rejuvenated and recharged by the power of God. That has to be the Spirit of God. One of the highlights of my life was to go with you two years ago hmm. to Ukraine, to the city of Kharkov. Hmm. And when you walked on that stage every night, it was so obvious you were God's man in God's place for these thousands of people. Hmm. You preached, you poured out your heart, you... And then that crowd would leave and another crowd would, it was like nothing I've never, that I've ever seen. On Skid Row, we have thousands of people come, but we know that they come for the bread. They come to be fed. And at the same time, we give them the bread of life. These people were coming out of a deep hunger for God. God has anointed you, called you, and if ever I've seen a mantle on anyone for a special calling, you have it for the former Soviet Union. That's kind of you to say so, Willie. It has been said uh, by the Knowles, the critics, the cynics, and you and I have met plenty of them, that people with good IQs don't come to hear the gospel. They say only only uneducated people come to hear the gospel. Of course, the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest intellectuals in the yes. history of the world. And uh, Martin Luther and some of these men have been the greatest intellectuals of the age. But the interesting thing that in Russia and Ukraine, the audience is composed of intellectuals. Thousands of doctors, PhDs, and scientists. I'm amazed that on, on occasions, because I know very little about science, and I don't like mathematics. Uh, I just don't like it, you know. I'm probably not smart enough to, uh, to function in that area. But after running, uh, say, a series of meetings, I'll have a bearded professor, a famous scientist, come to see me, and he'll give me a handwritten book with all of these mathematical equations on the theory of relativity <laughs> that I think Einstein and half a dozen people understood. And he'll say to me, would you please read this through and give me your considered opinion? And so I say, I appreciate the vote of confidence of which I certainly am not worthy. But my point is this, here are people in the top echelons of intellectual ability seeking for God because the human heart is the same. Yes, yes. And doesn't it just thrill you down, way down deep, mm -hmm. that you can present the simple plan of salvation through yes. Jesus Christ yes. to everyone, the poor and these intellectuals, and know that it works for all of them. Yes. Now, when I say intellectuals, Willie, as you saw, we had lots of, as the Bible says, the common people yes. heard him gladly. We have little old babushkas, yes. little grandmothers who lost their husbands in the reign of terror during the time of Stalin. And we have young people and we have poor people, some like you see on Skid Row, and then we have musicians and doctors and scientists. 
But St. Augustine said, our souls were made for God and they cannot rest until they rest in him. And what the human heart needs in America, in Russia, in Australia, in Korea, in Africa, and on Skid Row, is the blood of the Lord Jesus. Yes. I'm amazed, Willie. I shouldn't say I'm amazed, but I am amazed. When I preach on the atoning sacrifice of our Lord, and we drop our huge pictorial aids that show Christ impaled on the cross. And then there's another great pictorial aid done by some of my artist friends, 30 feet pictures showing the resurrection. And people say, well, the world doesn't need that anymore. They need psychology, they need philosophy, People don't need that anymore. But I have seen hundreds of thousands. No, even now I've seen millions of people come forward in altar calls because of the power of the gospel. There's nothing like it. Now you talk about showing the pictorial aids mm. of the resurrection, mm. but tell us how you began preaching. It, it's hard to even imagine. You're standing in front of thousands of people yes, yes. and you're going to preach about a God that mm -hmm. you thoroughly believe in but and they have experienced. They don't understand. Mm -hmm. They don't believe in him. They've been raised at least to, to be taught communism. Mm -hmm. And what do you say? Willie, as a little aside, we received a letter not very long ago from a fine Christian attorney he said, you've got no right to be going over there because the people there are godly people and they know God. Oh, goodness. Where has he been for 70 um, plus? Vadim Butov rebutted his letter by saying, please come over because 80% of the people here are atheists yes. and the rest belong to a religious system that keeps them in darkness. Yes. Almost the entire audience is is, is an unbelieving audience. Very few people believe in God. And so I start, as you have seen, on biblical archaeology yes. uh, with huge screens and we show them pictures of, of Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and we show them the prophecies. And the first night we have a program entitled Amazing Discoveries and it takes them to the land of Egypt and we show them how archaeology demonstrates the absolute historicity and authenticity of the Bible. That God doesn't ask us to have faith in faith. God directs us to have faith in truth. Jesus didn't say, I am faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so we put our faith in the way, the truth and the life. So. I work on the basis that God is a reasonable God and God doesn't ask us to believe blindly, but God gives us evidence to believe. And so we have seen millions of people come to discover that there is a God whom they can believe in and still keep their minds. Yes. God doesn't ask us to check in our brains at the door. And so we start the meetings on biblical archaeology to give to reasonable and reasoning and thinking people 
evidence to believe. And then each night of the crusade, mm -hmm. you build on the night before. Yes, yes. So you're not asking them to take a, quote, Western religion blindly. No, not at all. You are showing them from history. Yes. The truth of the gospel. Yes. And what does this do then as they come night after night? Very quickly, people go from an intellectual reason to believe to a faith in a personal God. I say to the people over and over again as we move into the series, you are not a machine. You are not an animal. You are a child of God. Archaeology gives us reason to believe that the Bible is true. Now, you were taught that there is no God. You were taught that the Bible is just a load of myths and fairy stories. But look at the evidence, and so they can see the evidence. And then we show them some of the amazing prophecies of the Bible. For instance, the prophecy about the city of Tyre, the New York of the ancient world. The Bible said Tyre would be overthrown and thrown into the sea. And then fishermen would spread their nets upon Tyre in the midst of the sea. That's in the prophet Ezekiel. I mean, that's incredible. City overthrown, that's not a big deal. Thrown into the sea, well, now it's getting difficult. And then fishermen would cast their nets upon Tyre. It all came to pass. Nebuchadnezzar overthrew the city, but he didn't throw it into the sea. But then Alexander the Great came hundreds of years later, and the inhabitants of old Tyre had fled to New Tyre, an island out in the Mediterranean Sea. So when Alexander got there, he picked up the ruins of old Tyre and threw the ruins into the sea and built a causeway in the sea and marched his soldiers out on the causeway and overthrew the new city of Tyre on the island. And so the city was thrown into the sea. And when I went there some time ago, I stood on the ruins of old Tyre in the midst of the sea would you believe it, Willie? Along came some Lebanese fishermen and they were drying their nets upon Tyre in the midst of the sea. And I said, it's true. Scripture was revealed right yes, in front of your eyes. Yes, it is true. And this is not one prophecy. There are scores of prophecies like this. God has given us a reason to believe that there's a personal God who made us in his image and best of all, who sent his own son to die for us on the cross to bring us to God and to save us. So each night you share these prophecies and yes. how they've been. And yet, at the close of every service, mm. I noticed that though you were speaking to atheists who still had not come to fully understand, mm -hmm. when you prayed, their response was overwhelming. Yes, yes, amazing. Now, you, you, saw, you saw the appeal for prayer in one night, right it, up early. It was so simple. You said, I know you have been taught there is no God. So you didn't treat them like idiots. You acknowledged mm. that. But you said, I would like to pray for you. And if there is a God mm. and you have a need and you want me to pray, and almost to a man, to a woman, hmm. the hands went up all over the auditorium. Hmm. 
And I suppose throughout eternity, I will never forget that young woman mm. who stood with her hand raised high and tears coming down her cheek. That's the work of the Holy Spirit as you preach. See, this work is not the work of man. Right. It is the work of God. The amazing thing is, when we have our dark moments and we think, are they going to come? The Spirit of God has already prepared the soil. Right. <laughs> Last year, there was a lady who, whose life was in such a mess. Her sister was dying of some dreadful disease because of radiation. Her husband had committed suicide. She was, she was quite ill herself, and so she decided, I'm going to go down to the store or down to one of those little places that you and I have seen. I'm going to buy some food, and I'm going to have my last supper, and then I'm going to take my life. So she went out to the, not the supermarket, yes. she went out to the market. There's nothing too much super there. So she went out to the market and she bought the food. And as she was coming home, she saw the advertising. And so she went to the meeting. Mm. And in the first meeting, she found God. And her life was changed by the grace of God. And she came to us. And she said, I was going to commit suicide, but now I believe that I'm a child of God. Willie, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And every person who's watching the telecast should know today that there's nothing too big for God, no problem too great for God, no person too great a sinner for God. God can save from the as you know, from the uttermost to the uttermost. Right. That's what Moody said, from the uttermost to the uttermost. You were a willing vessel to preach God's eternal love, and the woman came not even knowing there was a God. Yes, atheist. She found him. Yes. Now, tell us a little about the lives of the people in the former Soviet Union how they've been taught and what their life is like. Their whole world was turned upside down when mm -hmm. communism fell. Yes. Uh, Willie, it's two worlds. The military during the days of the Soviet Union was pretty much, pretty much good. Good for the military. Uh, the generals lived like czars. I have eaten with some of the generals even in recent times, the head of the KGB. Uh, they're not actually living like poor people. Magnificent buildings, magnificent apartments, magnificent food. I know the head of the KGB said to me, Pastor Carter, he said, I want you to preach to 1,000 of my officers. He said, before you go in, you must be strong. He said, we don't want a weak preacher. He said, drink this vodka with me. My friend, he said, let us drink the vodka. Oh, I said, I have... Uh, I have something that's stronger than vodka, General. He said, what can be stronger? I said, well, you will see the Spirit of God. The General came, introduced me to the KGB officers, and when I made an appeal for Christ, he was the first man on his feet. The dreaded KGB? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. 
He said to me, putting his hand over his heart, he said, we too have souls. Mm. He said, don't forget us. He said, we too have souls, you know. He said, come and talk to my men. We too have souls. So you had the military, affluent, wealthy, arrogant, but the vast majority of the people lived rather poorly. They lived in these dreadful apartments. Communism, one great community. Uh, you know, as, as somebody said, was it uh, Wells, where he spoke about communism, uh, he said uh, all animals are equal, only some are more equal. And so in the Soviet Union, everybody was equal, but some were more equal. And so you had the affluent, and you had the ordinary person. Then with the collapse of communism, and that happened back in 1991, you had the collapse of the economy. It was like, and you and I can't remember this, but my folks used to talk to me about the days of the Great Depression. When, you know, the economy in Australia, in, in America, collapsed when Wall Street collapsed. People were jumping out of windows. When it collapsed over there, the average salary went to about $50 a month. Now today, it's better. The average salary is about $150 a month for 80% of the people, 80 and 90% of the people. Then you've got 10% of the new Russians. Well, now, they're quite well off. They have magnificent homes, beautiful cars, BMWs and Mercedes, and Volvos. They've, they live a very affluent lifestyle. But the little babushka, the grandmother, the heart and the soul of the country, has a retirement allowance of $20 a month. I've met with them. I've been with them at the village pump when they're pumping the water, little old ladies, carrying home the water, the snow, the ice thick on the ground. They live on bread and potatoes and the produce of their farms. Now, they've got farms? Well, many of these folks have got a, a little piece of land out in the country. I don't even know if they own it. But during the summer months, they hurry out there and they grow tomatoes and uh, onions. And so this is their food. That's what keeps them going. So you have two classes, 10% wealthy, 90% as poor as you and I can imagine. I was very shocked when we went to Ukraine. Mm. We went to Kharkov, and I understand Kharkov is one of the larger cities. And one of the best. One, if oh, that's yes. the best, oh, then yes. the others must be in very poor shape. Oh, I was yes. shocked at like their public transport, their mm. buses mm. hardly ran. Mm. And there was so much poverty. Um, and prostitution. Yes. Mm. yes. And AIDS. Kharkov mm. is easily one of the best cities I've been to in the former Soviet Union. We considered ourselves living almost in the lap of luxury in Kharkov. Mm. I could take you to places in Russia like Zhezhinsk. Now, I never say these Russian words too well. 
Uh, in fact, I don't even say my English words too well. When I was a little boy of six or seven, I couldn't speak at all. I couldn't put two words together. Mm. Uh, they thought I was suffering from some disease and uh, felt I would never talk. And so when I talk about Russian, try to say Russian words, I find it very difficult to say Terzinsk <laughs> or some of these other places. My Russian friends think it's, I'm, I should be having a comedy show. But there is a city outside Gorky and we have built a church there. The life expectancy of the average Russian in Jezinsk is 40 years. Oh my. Cancer, heart disease. I have seen apartments there that have left me dumbfounded. Uh, in the midst of winter when it's 30 below, that's cold. The glass panes are broken. The heating is not working. People inside are, are huddled up with everything that they can put on and they're cooking a little bit of gruel over the burner, the gas burner. That's poverty. Uh, I have over there, Willie, three young men whom we affectionately call our Russian soldiers. We baptized them over there in the city of Nizhny Novgorod. I can think of, of Victor, tall, good-looking, blonde, bright, clear blue eyes, and his teeth falling out. Mm. I no haven't nutrition? Seen, no nutrition. I have received word. I haven't seen him for a year. Victor is dying. Oh. Then there's Yuri. One of his friends, there's three of them. Young men who are soul winners, who are preachers of the gospel, like John Wesley in their own right. I have bought a house out in the country, outside Dzinsk and outside, between there and Nizhny Novgorod, and they're turning it into a little church. But when I go to see them, they're thin. And they're gaunt. The need is great, just as it is on Skid Row. You said you have a church. Now, how do we get from the meetings to a church? Well, Where all, do they come to a decision, the baptism, mm, all of that? In all those places, we don't have churches. We have built a beautiful church that seats 2,000. At least we've helped to build it. 2,500 in Kiev. Mm, but that's, that's very, amazing. very rare. It's, the, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's an evangelistic center. We built a church in Dzinsk and a church in Nizhny Novgorod. And, and there are other places where even now we are endeavoring to build churches. But when you run an evangelistic campaign, generally speaking, we don't have churches to take the people to. Hmm. We don't have beautiful baptismal fonts, such as we're building in this church. We baptize them in lakes oh. and in rivers. Where how, how many at a time would you oh, baptize? Oh, we have baptized at a time up to 2,000 people. Oh, but sometimes the water is freezing. But they, 
gladly follow the Lord in oh. baptism as a mm. statement of what God has done. In this in Novgorod, we had the privilege of baptizing 2,488 oh. precious souls in the great Volga River. And the day of the baptism, I know of one baptism there, it was blustery and cold mm. and there were white caps on the river and I saw young Russian women come to be baptized in their wedding dresses. Oh. Walk out in the water. I went down and put my hand in the water and I said, may God bless them. Cold. We've had baptisms in, in mountain lakes. Now the Russian pastors are something else. I've seen Russian pastors go down into that water and stand there for an hour. My translator, Igor Perspekin, was baptized in the days of the Soviet Union. He and Olga were baptized in the middle of the night in a mountain lake. They went to the lake firstly, the pastor and the elders of the church and the deacons, and they went with axes and saws to saw the top of the river away. Because the, the ice is this thick. So they'd have to saw through that, then they'd get the ice out. Then they went down into the water. When Igor and Olga were baptized, they had on baptismal robes, like uh, bath robes, or as they call them in Australia, dressing gowns. <laughs> and when they came up out of the water, they couldn't get the robes off them. They were frozen as solid as a, as a sheet of steel. They said, well, these folks are going to freeze. So they got a big braid knife and they actually cut the robes off them. Oh my. <laughs> I said to them, Igor and Olger, were you sick? They said, no. They said, we were wonderfully well. We felt good. I wonder how many believers we would have in America if we <laughs> had to go to those lengths. I know. So it's from these committed people yes. that you have built some churches. Tell us how you build a church. Well, in Nizhny Novgorod, we ran a campaign at the Volga Auto Plant. Now, the Volga Auto Plant, which was actually founded with the help of the American Mr. Ford, mm. Ford Motor Company. He said, let's help the Russians. And so the first uh, Volga cars were like, T-model Fords. This is the biggest car factory in the world. Now, I didn't say the most effective. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not the most efficient. Yes. But the biggest. It's really Bolshoi. And we ran a campaign down there at the, for the people who worked there. Hundreds of thousands work at the Volga auto plant in Dzhinsk or Gorky. But once again, when we had the baptism, there's no place for the people to go. So what we do, we hire halls. We still hire halls today. We're hiring halls at this very moment. When we hire halls, they're often cold, unheated, drafty, and dirty. I took a meeting for some of our church members in a hall and pardon my saying this, we had to go into the bathroom. I had to go into the bathroom. Willie, may the Lord 
preserve us. Hmm. Filthy, the stench. I, I visited that place and then went and preached and oh. went back to, uh, you know, a, a minus four-star hotel. So we had our believers at the, at the Volga Auto Plant meeting in these halls. Within the first year, they were thrown out of this, this place that they were hiring for religious, the state church threw them out. Hmm bribed the old officials. Then they went to another place. They were thrown out again. This is pretty hard on old people. This is pretty hard on babies. When you've got to travel for three and four hours to get to church on the Sabbath and you get to a dirty hall because we don't have churches. In Russia, there are very, very few Protestant churches. Is it government regulations that keep you from building? Or no, is it you can finances build. to Finances. Build? Now in Moscow, this vast city of, what, probably 10 million now, within the inner, inner part of Moscow, you've got 8 million people, but it's, it's a vast city like New York. There is one Adventist church, one Adventist church, and scores of congregations, and people meeting, under dreadful conditions, there is a desperate need to raise money and build churches. How much for an average church, not a large church, how much would average it cost church, U.S. dollars? $100,000. You mean a businessman, a couple that mm. loves God could give 100000 and build a church to house new believers? At the most. You see, uh, they've got inflation over there. The economy is very unstable. But we have built, we have built in Dzinsk a beautiful church for $52,000. Mm. That was a few years ago. The Volga Auto Plant was $110,000. That was a few years ago too. Um, I would think at this present moment you could build a church that would supply the, the needs for a sanctuary for 500 new believers for about 150,000. And here, when a church is built, we talk in terms of millions. Oh, you've got to, especially Los Angeles, because yes. <laughs> I'm working here. <laughs> oh, yes. John, I, I would think that anyone listening today mm. would want to be part of this. I mean, sometimes you must just want to almost oh. tear your hair out. Oh. When you see the opportunities, you see the people coming to mm. Jesus, and you're stymied for lack of dollars. Look, uh, you know, we're just talking as friends here, and we have a heart for soul winning. We believe in evangelism. But in one city in Siberia, Irkutsk, the government leader came to me and he said, we need more of you. I said, what do you mean? He said, we need more Christians who believe that you believe. He said, you don't smoke. I said, no. He said, you don't drink. He said, don't you know that the state church that shall remain anonymous is the biggest importer of alcohol and tobacco into Russia? He said, don't you know that's how they finance their buildings? I said, no. He said, we need more of you. We will give you a piece of land if you will build. 
and you just need people who will step up to the plate and you say, need. I will give. Yes, yes. And yet today in that city, we have a tiny little building where just a few believers can go, a tiny little building. There is a tremendous need and the government is not opposed to building churches in Russia. Oh, that's amazing. And, uh, and uh, the government in some areas in Russia is becoming very difficult because it's not what Mr. Putin says, it's not what the Kremlin says. Each local district is autonomous. That's wonderful <laughs> for if, the gospel. Well, it is if the governor's on your side. But in yeah. many of these places, like uh, Novosibirsk, the governor says, no, we don't want you here. So doors are closing in Russia. And what we do, we need to do quickly. Doors are closing. When Vadim Butov calls me, he says some things that are always very pleasing to the ears of the people from the government who are listening to our phone call. Hmm. It's back in Russia now. So they're they listening to the phone calls. The international phone calls. Yes, they're listening to phone calls. And so he's told me when he seen me face to face, he said, whenever I talk to you on the phone, I'll say a little preamble. Mm-hmm. So he does this. And so it shows us that liberty is leaving Russia and night is coming on. Oh, we need to preach. But, but you're, you're returning. As long yes, as you can go yes. and the Lord gives you strength. Yes. When will you be going again? I'm going again this year, God willing, in the month of July. And you will preach twice every day. God willing. How can people help you? First, people who can't go. How can they help? This, this must be tremendously expensive. I was in Kharkov. Mm-hmm. I saw this huge auditorium. I saw all the preparation for the meeting. Mm-hmm. You, you put out publicity. You put it on the sides of buses, on television, yeah, on television. radio. Heavy on television. And mm-hmm. the people come. Mm, by the thousands. So it must Knock cost. Down the doors. It must cost hundreds of thousands to go and to put on a crusade. Uh, Willie, I'm a pastor here. I've done television advertising here. 100,000 in, in America hardly goes anywhere. You know That's that. That's true. Bless your heart. If you want to buy a house here in Arcadia, any decent house, I mean, in Arcadia, any decent house is 800,000. They're knocking down homes in Arcadia, $800,000 homes, simply to get the piece of land to put up better homes. Not hard to spend. Well, it would be hard for me to spend it, but some people don't find it hard to spend a million and a half dollars now in Arcadia, South Pasadena. And this is not Beverly Hills or Malibu. Or even San Marino. Yes, yes. (laughs) $100,000 doesn't go far. Here, $100,000 will build a church there. $150,000 to $200,000 will run a series of evangelistic meetings twice a day for a month that will be attended by cumulatively hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that will see tens of thousands of people raise their hands, atheists, to accept Jesus. And not hundreds, but thousands of people gathered into the kingdom of God Amen. For, so, for so little. 
a small investment mm -hmm. makes a giant investment in yes. eternal souls. Mm -hmm. So people who cannot go with you physically yes. can give. Yes, they can give. What I pray, Willie, is this, that into, this, into the hearts of God's people in this great land, and we must never forget this, America has made the most wonderful contribution to the preaching of the gospel. When you go around the world, you see memorials everywhere to American generosity. Thank God for the American people. But I pray that there will come a spiritual revival and that we'll recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. I do not believe that people are saved by being good enough. I don't believe that people are saved because they belong to a certain church. I believe that we are saved when we recognize that we are sinners and we come to Christ in repentance and we're born again. That is why we need to preach because there's no other way. There is no other way under heaven given among men no. whereby we must be saved. And God has called you to Russia. And that's why God has called you on the streets of Los Angeles. If we would all be faithful where God has called us. But you have paid a big price to do this. You're going to preach at least twice a day for a month. Mm -hmm. In God the willing. former Soviet <laughs> Union. Plus you meet officials throughout the day. Yes. And how can people perhaps go with you? You take a team. I was yes. part of your yes. team to Harkov. Mm -hmm. We say to people, if you want to come with us, come with us. What will mm -hmm. they do? What will their part be? Well, what people do, they pay their own airfares and all of that. We can't do that. We'd like to do that. But of course, no. the money we raise, we raise to preach the gospel to these people. And also to help the orphans over there and to to visit hospitals. Now that's something that mm. your wife, Beverly, Beverly does that. who goes with you, mm. tell us a little about her. And she does it effectively. She has a heart for God and a heart for children. And every time she goes, she takes medicines and teddy bears mm. and visits orphanages where you've got the most beautiful little children who desperately need parents and who need the love of God. Willie, what can the American people do? Understand what is at stake. Understand that this is a matter of life and death. And that time is short. And that time is short. You and I believe that Jesus is coming soon. Yes. And when I talk to Vadim, when he calls me regularly on the phone, he's the president of one of our conferences over there, and a fine young man of 27 years of age, was already baptized 7,000 souls. Mm. I mean, 27, and he's preaching the gospel, and his wife is a doctor, and she's given up being a doctor so she can become a lady evangelist. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> now, the Russian men find this impossible to accept, but she's out there and she's preaching. So people can go and people can give. They can write checks. A hundred thousand would buy a church. Hundred fifty thousand put on a crusade. 
Yes. People need to a hundred dollars repeated. Yes. We'll do a lot too. John Carter, you've shared your heart. You're a man of God called for this hour for the former Soviet Union. I don't know of another person who is doing what you're doing and you're being faithful to the call of God. You're very kind, Willie. Very and kind. What is what do you need more than anything else from our viewers today? I would like to have the prayers of our viewers. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of, said Lord Tennyson. And I would like our viewers to say, what can I personally do to help to finish the work of God? Mm. I know how we can finish the work of God. Today you've heard an extraordinary man, called of God, anointed by God to go to the former Soviet Union. I have watched him in a huge auditorium twice every night. The auditorium was packed. People waited for hours to get in to hear the simple message of Jesus. This is a ministry that I believe in. And I am so honored today to be a guest host on this program just to share with you the testimony of Pastor John Carter, a man whom God is using and a man whose ministry I invite you to invest in. You can send a check, whether it's a hundred dollars, a thousand, a hundred thousand, whatever is right for you. God will take it and use it in this ministry to win souls in Russia. Let me give you the address. It's the Carter Report, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California. And that zip is 91358. The Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Your investment of dollars today will bring souls into the kingdom of God. Pastor John Carter, what a joy. You have a heart for God and a God heart you, for Willie. souls. Thank you. you for letting me interview you today. You. And friend, if God has spoken to your heart, I invite you to be part of this tremendous ministry for 70 years, communism ruled, but God is working today. Be part. Blessings on you and yours.